everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this evening, and with me as usual is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. I got my owl jammy pants, and I'm here to say I'm ready for this podcast. Hey, hey. This is a podcast <laughs> all about tabletop games, card games, role-playing games, board games, things of that sort. And we also... Oh, there's a really hard top to pop. Oh, there's a good pop. That's impressive. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good one. Jeez, that's full to the brim. Uh, we also discuss beer and other drinks on the show. So just a disclaimer, we got our first sponsored beer, I guess you'd call it? I would call it a review beer. Review beer. Yes, and Delton is pouring this beer all over the place. These lids are crap for pours. Like, you can't pour slowly or it goes down the side of the can. Is that for me? All right, we had a party foul. Yes, so uh, this Crowler can, if you ever have seen a Crowler, uh, there's a thing at breweries called Growlers, which are usually a glass bottle they fill oh. up from draft. You're about to spill your beer on your pants, Delty. It got really close to the edge there. That is a full Thank beer. You. It's very full by accident. Uh, a Growler is a giant, usually glass bottle. Uh, it's generally like... 64 ounces? Well, there's 32 and 64, and I think there's even 24 in a lot of places, depending, but... Uh, 32 and 64 for sure, and they fill it up off the draft and send it home with you. Well, a Crowler is a canned version. We've had some from Rufftail Brewing before. We have, and this one, I believe, is 32 as well. Because there, Is there more left in that can? There is. So, yes, I'm yep. going to say 32. Because these are two 12-ounce pours. Yes. And so we're just going to have one beer this episode because, A, we have a big-ass Crowler, and, two, this big-ass Crowler is 8.8% alcohol by volume. It is. This is from Enid Brewing Company. It is a rum Oreo porter. It comes in at 8.8% alcohol by volume with a 35 IBU. Yeah, so this, like we were saying, it is our review beer. I went to Enid today, and I have stories to tell and articles to write about that. But I stopped in the Enid Brewery. I'd followed them on Facebook about a year and a half ago. And I guess they've only been around for about two years. But I finally got the chance to go visit today because the plague, as you know, is all less plaguey. And uh, I went inside, met this awesome bartender. She told me about the history of all the beers. I guess all their beers have uh, Oklahoma-specific names. So this one, uh, their porter is named after a gentleman whose last name was Porter. Uh, and this is a variant on their porter. It is aged in rum barrels, and it is also aged on 10 pounds of Oreos. I'm very interested to try it. It is, I'm talking pitch black, the way you would expect a nice dark porter to be. It is, and I tried the regular version of this at the brewery, and it was delightful. Now, you did say this was a nitro draft. That is correct. So most of the carbonation's gone because when you can nitro, as you said, they had to scrape off the foam to add more to it. So it's quite the process. It was. That poor bartender, she poured it and then was scooping off the top with a spoon to make sure she was filling the beer with beer. Very yeah. kind, very Nit patient. Nitro always does that. Makes very, very generous head. So this basically has no head in its current form. Yes, and it is very fresh. It was poured about uh, six hours ago. It smells very sweet. Mm. Definitely a lot, a lot of malt in there. Want to take a sip? It smells a little chocolatey in the way that beers are chocolatey. Yeah, I'd like to take a drink. I smell the rum. Hmm. You do get the rum. A little bit of alcohol mm. in there. It's kind of like a... You ever put rum in your coffee? Yes. That's what it tastes like. It tastes like putting rum in your coffee. It kind of does. It's much sweeter. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, they said that like you're not going to think of Oreos when you drink it. 
But at the same time, the aftertaste that's lingering right now reminds me of Oreo cream. Yeah, it does. It has that creamy sweetness that's just delicious and nostalgic. I really feel like I'm drinking a rum and coffee. There's not a ton of carbonation, like I said, so that could change based off if you're having this fresh from a draft. But it's smooth all around. It leaves a silky film on the tongue Mm -hmm. and the cheeks. Like you can feel it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those, I think that's from the Oreo and possibly from the rum barrel. Yeah, and like I said, it was aged on 10 pounds of Oreos. Mm, I do like that, though. It's very sweet, Mm -hmm. but it's not overly so. And luckily, I think the bitterness level is just right where you can barely notice the bitterness of like hops or anything. Mm -hmm. And like all of their beers are very good today. So again, disclosure, this was a review beer given to us. But also disclosure, I really liked their beers before I knew we were getting a review beer. So I went in and I got a flight and they have uh, where you can get a flight for uh, four four ounce tasters for twelve dollars, and it served on a cute little Oklahoma board. And I tried uh, one of their amber ales. I tried their basic lager. I tried a dark amber ale as well, and all of them were very good. And like I said, they all have Oklahoma names. So one was Control Burn. That was the dark amber ale. Great name. Great name, always. And uh, while I'm sitting there, I'm having my drinks. I'm talking to the bartender, and. She says, well, you need to try this one. She gave me another half pour of another one. Then another bartender comes up, and I said, what's your favorite? He says, oh, I like the journal porter. Gives me half a pour of that one. And then she gives me a pour of their root beer. They have a root beer that they make on site as well. It is a red wine root beer that is alcohol-free. I don't know wh- where the red wine comes into play, but oh, my God, it was the best root beer I've ever had. Hands down, best root beer I've ever had. I love good craft root beer like that. It was delicious, and they said that a couple of weeks ago they tried to bottle it to sell, and it all exploded within 45 minutes. So, still in the test kitchen trying to bottle that root beer to go, so I was not able to take that with me. But it is a really great place to visit. They are very kind. Uh, I went to Enid today. This is my, my story for the week. I got a little stir-crazy sheltering in place for the last year and a half. A little bit. I'm a little more extroverted than your average Delton. Yes. And so this summer, what I'm going to do is once a month, I'm going to go to a small-ish, smaller town in Oklahoma and just go exploring. And so today I went to Enid America. I got me some good Italian food. I visited a coffee shop. I visited Enid Brewery. And I also went to a museum. I'm not going to name the museum, but I think that museum belongs in a museum. That old? It was that old. And... I think that the owners or creators of it had passed away a very long time ago. I don't think it's been updated since then. It was just like stacks of stuff and dust and dirt and the dirt belonged in a museum. I don't think it'd been cleaned. I don't think the bathroom had been cleaned since one of the old westerns was shot there in the 70s. Gross. It was an adventure. There were some neat things in there. There There's a random hotel key from an Elk City hotel. That closed back in the 60s. There was a signed picture of Reba McIntyre. There was a collection of 1,800 dolls. I don't really know how it all fit in together because there was also a signed autograph headshot of one of the local news gals. And I, I don't know how it all fit in together, but I experienced it. And I donated some monies and I signed the guest book. And I said, I'm not going to name it because I'm not about naming names. But if you live in Enid, you can probably guess what it is. Uh, I'm just not going to go there. Uh, but 
the Enid itself was really awesome. They are they have other museums. They're like the train museum, which I've heard is really cool. They have lots of cool coffee shops, a couple more breweries opening up. And yeah, I really liked it. And I also got to meet a dog named Avery at the bicycle shop. So all in all, a good day. Meeting dogs is always a positive thing when you're out and about. Absolutely. And then Delty, what did you do last Saturday? Uh, last Saturday, I took part with our good friend Andrew, Patreon supporter of the show, just not at the normal shout out level. And we played As Thou Commands, which is a mega game by show friend Ben Canellis, who we've had on in the past. Don't remember the episode. You'll have to look it up. But he likes to run and play mega games and has been trying to get me to play over and over and over and over and over again for all of them. So me and Andrew signed up for this one and played it over the Saturday. It went from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., I believe, when we finished. The time was slotted for 9 to 4. And I think it's really neat. If you are very into role-playing, I think that is where that specific mega game, As Thou Commands, shines. Because there was was, uh, especially one very good role-player in our group. Andrew did a great job, and the other guys did pretty decent. I feel like I was terrible. And then there were a lot of really great role players just in the game in general when we had everybody in the same channel. This was all done through Discord. And you can look up As Thou Commands. You can look up like the Mega Game Coalition, I think it's called. But there's all kinds of sources for Mega Games where they're going to take a lot amount of hours and a lot of people. But it's a massive role-playing experience going through and doing lots of different things. This one was a low fantasy medieval setting, even though I feel like some of the crap that went on was a little higher fantasy than it probably should have been. Uh, But there was funny things, there was cool things, there were serious things. Uh, I definitely think that if you like role-playing and you like games like that that are connected with a lot of people, it's definitely worth checking out. I regret to inform everybody that it has been too cold and rainy in Oklahoma for my hot girl summer in my kiddie pool. Yes, we actually had uh, flash floods last night where the backyard was like two inches deep of water everywhere, and it was just pouring and pouring and pouring. So the whole city just got dumped on by the sky, and it was so much rain. Uh, Luckily, I only had to drive through it for a couple miles on my way home last night, and then it lasted for like an hour, hour and a half of just torrential downpour. And yeah, it's been cold, or it's been rainy, and so Haley has not got to use her kiddie pool, but the yard is loving the water. I just stare longingly out the window every single day, just hoping, dreaming, praying that one day, one day, I'll enjoy my kiddie pool. Icarus has flown too close to the sun. Yes. (laughs) I received my pool, and I was so close to happiness, but alas, alas. Well, luckily, alas. even though you can't use your kiddie pool, that just means you have to stay inside with me, which means we get to play games. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for today, uh, I think this is, what is this, the second time that we're going to be doing like a two-player card game, dueling card game? We did Magic back forever ago with Brian, like episode 10 or something, or 9. Allison was episode 10. Was she? Brian was either 8 or 9. I think so. Maybe 6? Probably episode 6. I think that's right. Somewhere in there, we did Magic the Gathering. Have we done another card game? We never ended up doing Arkham Horror LCG, which we need to play more of so we can do that. But I don't know that we've really done a two-player card game, so this will be just the second one for our podcast. You mean we haven't done Pokemon? I don't think we have, because we I've played a lot of Magic, 
and that's been the only one. But for this episode, we are going to dive into the relatively new to the United States card game called Flesh and Blood. It's a trading card game from Legend Story Studios. Now, likely you have not heard of this card game, and you likely have not heard of this studio. That is because they are out of Auckland, New Zealand. That is where this originated. I'm going to read a little bit from their website here on their About Us because I find it kind of fascinating. Uh, Generally, in the card game world, you've got Pokemon, you've got stuff like Digimon, you have the Fantasy Flight LCGs, and you have a few other things like the Transformers game or Star Wars Destiny that comes all from Fantasy Flight. But this is the first one that's kind of came from a relatively, if not completely, unknown company, just dropped this out of New Zealand, and it's starting to get worldwide recognition and really blow up at the moment. And uh, we wanted to talk about it because we've got our hands on some decks here. So from their website... I got some hands on some decks, eh? There you go. It says, Flesh and Blood is created by an independent studio in Auckland, New Zealand, created for gamers by gamers. They spent seven years in development before worldwide debut on October 2019. This is currently 2021, so we're a couple years out, but it just hit the United States in November of 2020. Uh, It says it's a card game where they're trying to kind of change the way card games work, make it highly interactive, change the way that you look at evaluation and deck building philosophies, and try to add an innovative combat dynamic, which I think is cool, and we'll discuss those things. Uh, They're going to be doing different tournaments, things like that, all over at different shops, just like every other collectible or trading card game. And it also says here that they value collectability and support the existence of a thriving secondary card market. And what they basically mean by that, uh, I find this fascinating. Most card games like this have a booster pack. You can buy decks or buy booster packs. You spent buy a booster pack, crack it open. There's usually like 10 to 15 cards, right? Well, the way this game works is for the collectors out there, they release a first edition set. So the current set that is releasing right now is Monarch. So they released the Monarch first edition set of booster packs. Those have a chance of a special foiled card that's a process called cold foiling. Uh, It looks way cooler than a regular rainbow foil. And the whole set is marked as first edition. Those are the cards that maintain a high aftermarket value because the collectability. They do one run of it and it's done. Then they have a run called monarch unlimited which is all the same cards not marked first edition no cold foiling just rainbow foiling and they will produce those for the foreseeable future explain this to me in late 90s era pokemon terms imagine if the new charizard was printed with a special shiny foil like where they're shiny and holographic there was a limited number of the holographic ones once those are gone, then they would pr- print an unlimited number of non-holographic, right? So it's like a Team Rocket. It's the same card. It's just less collectible. That way, people like me that just want to play the game don't have to spend ridiculous prices to get the best cards because they now have two versions of the best card, the highly collectible and the regular. Ah. Actually, kind of a great system. We'll see in practice how that controls the fluctuation of the aftermarket. Because for those of you who don't know, there's a huge secondary market for collectible card games. And it can get ridiculous. What? This game by itself already has cards in the thousands of dollars because of uh, there's not a large supply for how high the demand is. Being it's a small company from New Zealand. 
And there are magic cards in hundreds of dollars, things like that. I won't continue on this because this is a very boring topic for most people to discuss. So basically what you're saying is that collectible card games are basically like a, a miniature stock market. Yes, there is a secondary market outside of retail that is like a mini stock market. And this company is trying to make sure that they have the cards for it. And regular people have cards that aren't part of that stock market as much. So you have like some steady companies like like the Black Lotus and Magic the Gathering, which retains its value. It's like the, it's like the Disney, yeah. like investing in Disney stock. Yeah. And then you have like Star Wars Destiny, which is like your Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah. It's basically, it fluctuates up and down real bad. Real bad. Yeah. That's essentially what's going to happen. Yes. But I thought that was really neat. Something different and- Stonks. Kind of a neat thing. Yes. Stonks. So yes, we're going to be talking about Flesh and Blood today. So Flesh and Blood, as I said, is a new card game, and we were able to get our hands on, thanks to Edmund Unplugged, thanks to Mike there. Thanks, Mike. There were... Hope your garden's good. I'm not sure. If... He said he tarped it. Ah. And he's going to see what survives after this cold ah. spell. So we'll have to ask him next time we go in, now that things are opening up. Good luck and good greens. Exactly. But he was able to... Uh, they have a whole box full of these like starter decks that are like, hey, play with this, learn the game. And he gave us some of those. We played and learned the game, and then I went back and got something that are a pre-made Blitz deck. You saying you play with your decks? Yes, thank you, Haley, for being the child. <laughs> you friggin' turd. Uh, yes, I like to play with my decks, okay? Hey, is that a deck in a box? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> these are Blitz decks. So in Flesh and Blood, there are essentially three different tournament styles of play. One is a drafting or limited style, just like every other. There's Constructed that you have a 60-card deck with certain rules, and then there is Blitz, which is a, I think, a 40-card deck. So it's faster with its own little set of, like, tiny differences in rules. And they make pre-made decks you can buy, play out of the box, and if you go to a tournament, they're actually tournament legal, which is cool. So we picked up some of those to play with. Now, hopefully this isn't boring you at all, because <laughs> this is a deep talk on this card game. However, for those of you who are used to card games like this, uh, I have been really enjoying what we've played of Flesh and Blood. We've technically only played three full games now, but I have watched videos online, read about different things, and have looked into how to get some more cards, essentially. Um, and I have sat there patiently while Delton has read the rules, and I have won every single game. She has won every game. That is a positive for her, is <laughs> I'm the one who's like reading the strategies of how these decks function, all this stuff, and she still beats me. <laughs> now, I will say... Like, two of those games was like a one life to one life. It was. It there came was down to a single turn. A single turn. Like, I think the first one was, it came down to like three to one. And Maybe. the second one was one to one. And then the last one was a little different. The last one was nine to one. I could not hold on. If I would have held on, I think I could have made a big, like, shift, but probably not big enough. But, uh, so for most card games, and we'll get into more card games later, but for most card games, it's you versus the opponent and you're playing creatures or casting spells, things like that. The way Flesh and Blood works is you are actually controlling a hero, which does have a card with a special ability on the table. In a Blitz deck, it is a young hero. In a Constructed deck, it is a full hero. Now, each hero has a special style about them, uh, something they're trying to do. Then you can have weapons, uh, a head equipment, chest, arms, and feet equipment as well, and then your deck full of attacks. Uh, the game is basically going to be a, I feel like the turns are fast. Even, yes. though, even though the game takes a minute for us, at least right now learning, 
the turns are nice and fast in this game. You're essentially going to, on your turn, you have one action point, basically an action. You can play an attack. You can use anything that, you know, you can pay for an action, blah, blah, blah. You do that action, and only if that action says that you may go again, do you get to play something else. So a lot of times you're doing a setup for one attack, then your turn's over and it goes to your opponent. So you're having to string together little tiny combos or build up over several turns to get to certain things you may want to do, dependent upon how your deck functions. Um, One thing that I really enjoy in this game, in Pokemon there's energy, in Magic there's lands which produce your mana, and, you know, Digimon is just its own weird thing. Star Wars Destiny, you've got these dice. Everything has its own resource style. The way this game works is every card has a cost so far between zero and six. Seems to be the highest and lowest we've seen. Yes. I guess it'll never go under zero. They probably go over six somewhere. Like zero and six, and then, like, sometimes you have to sacrifice some cards as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, so kind of some of the regular, you know, card game style. So a card will have a cost. And every single card has a pitch value. So something unique about this game that I find to really, really enjoy, instead of building lands into my deck like Magic, instead of worrying about how many energy I have in Pokemon, in this card game, every single card, I think, yeah, every card in your deck has a value you can pitch it for to a special pitch zone, not the discard pile, but the pitch zone. And that gives you between one and three resources to be able to cast or not cast but to play your cards so every card can be pitched to play other cards what that means is every single turn you must make a decision and they're not always easy what i like is there is no this is what i have to do very often there's not a turn where you're just like all right i'm like in magic i'm gonna play a land go You pretty much never have an off turn unless you've just defended so strongly that you have no cards left, and I can discuss that in a minute. But I love that every turn is a decision point. What card do I play? Which do I play first? Which abilities off my equipment do I activate? What do I pitch to pay for this? Am I going to have enough to pay for this? I can also maybe pitch this card. Do I want to hold something back in my arsenal, which is like an extra card slot for your hand, kind of, in a weird way? There's all sorts of things that go into your turn for being such a small turn. And I love that there's constantly decision space involved. It really is an easy game to understand. So hopefully us talking about it on the podcast is making sense. We're not making your deck hard. Yes. Thank you, Haley. Thank you so much. (laughs) You've been dying to say that, haven't you? What? I'm just trying to make sure we are relaying the information in a succinct way. So this is a game about small decisions, and I love that about it. Um, each deck can have two copies of a card, but each card has three versions, a red, a blue, and a yellow, which changes the stats on it, how much it costs to cast, how much it can pitch for. Something I enjoy, if a card is used to attack or defend, it goes to the discard pile, it's gone, pretty much gone from the game unless you have something that pulls it from the discard pile. If you pitch a card for resources, at the end of your turn, those go on the bottom of your deck. So you will get to see those cards again if you end up using enough of your deck in a game. And I really like that, that you're not just throwing them away permanently, just not right now. There's a chance you'll get it back later. Now, I have not seen any cards that shuffle your deck, but also these are introductory decks made to be not too complex, but not too simple. They're kind of a middle ground, I feel like. And there's so many cards you can add to, you know what I mean? 
but I really enjoy that about the game. You mean it's fun to play with your deck? Yes, it is, every time. And I've just found that it's like, it's such an interesting style because it's different than other card games I've played. Yeah. Uh, that decision space is the biggest thing. Something else I really enjoy is every card that's an attack card, you know, has its attack value. Um, there are some special things. There are some instants that work like magic where you can play them at any time uh, if you have priority. And then there are some cards that are like only used as attack reaction to buff your attack or defense reaction to buff your defense. But almost every card has a defense value. So when someone's attacking you, you can discard these cards, which means you won't get them back, to defend the attack and block the damage. That's something that I liked about this. I mean, I like magic as much as the next fella, but I, I like the multi-use cards in this because you're not you're not going to have a hand where you don't have resources. You're not going to have a hand where you don't have actions. You're not going to have a hand where you don't have defense. Now, it might not be the distribution that you're wanting, but you're going to have some sort of resources to do something. Yes, that's the best part is you always can do something. Even if it's just pitching a couple cards to play something that's not that great, you're still trying to do something. Holding onto a card is almost never something you want to do unless you put it in your arsenal, which means take one card at the end of your attack turn, put it face down. You can play it at any time, but it can't be used to defend or pitch, just played. And it's just nice. You, ne you never are missing a turn. You never have a turn that you can't afford something, even if it's not exactly what you want. There's always something to do. And I've played enough magic to know sometimes you just get screwed. You have too much mana and not enough stuff to do or too much stuff to do and not enough mana or you can't pay for this because you missed a land or something else happened. And I haven't felt that way in this game at all. There's only been like one turn where I was like, I can't do anything. I have to just keep my hand. Right. So. Yeah, because that'll happen like, let because most of the time during most turns, most except for the first turn, only the person who attacks draws cards. And yes. so if you spent all of your cards attacking the last turn, you're not going to have anything. Or if you spent all of your cards uh, blocking, like keeping yourself from attacks, you're not going to have anything in your hand to attack with. Yes. On the first turn, both people draw up after the initial first turn. After that, when you're done attacking, you draw up. But if your opponent has defended with those cards, they're not going to draw up until they're done attacking. So it's a very interesting back and forth making you decide how much of this attack do I really block if I block at all? Because what cards in my hand am I going to want to play my next turn? And you also have to think, every card you use to defend, your opponent's going to have a full hand to defend against your attack. So it has this really weird back and forth where you feel disadvantaged, but then you feel like you have the advantage. And it just keeps going between each of the two players. It's very, very interesting. Uh, one of the things I want to say, I don't know the full details of like... Uh, if there is a main artist or anything, it looks like all of these have uh, illustrated by kind of like magic where they probably commission cards and just say, here's our style, go for that. So I'm guessing that's how it works by the looks of it. But I, I like the card artwork. I like the design of the different cards and characters. So the two we have is Levia and Prism from the new Monarch Blitz decks. And then the small beginner one is Ira Crimson Haze which is a cool name of a ninja deck. So it's been a very neat card game. I've really enjoyed it. And at the moment, I just want to buy a bunch of booster packs, crack them open and start like modifying these decks, figuring out how deck construction works and things like that. That's all he's been saying. So he turns 30 flirty and thriving next month. And all he's been saying is that how much he wants more of those booster packs. 
yeah, I haven't had any booster packs yet because they're hard to get. Got to order them online. And I would like to order some to crack a bunch of packs. I think it would be fun. It's just, this is finally, I think, the first game outside of Magic that after a few plays, I'm like, okay, this could be something I could actually see getting into because all the other card games I've tried, Star Wars Destiny was like, this is really neat. It's kind of fun. Or Keyforge was like interesting at first for the first, you know, I only bought four decks total. So I didn't spend a lot on it. But the more I got into every card game or tried to play it more, the more it just never really struck the right chord. But this one seems to be hitting the nail on the head for me in terms of it's different than Magic to make it where I want to play it over Magic. Not not like, not that I think it's better, but if I want something different than Magic, this has been the one that's the answer so far. Uh, but I like the play style enough. I like the art style and it's different enough to give me a new experience. It's not just more of the same. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that a lot. Same here. And I like that it comes pre-built. And I know that Magic has some pre-built decks and other card games have pre-built decks, but these ones are also pre-built, but they make sense too. It's not just like random cards poked together like like Keyforge. Keyforge, like I enjoyed Keyforge, but it was just like, well, here's the card you got. And like you couldn't make any modifications for that either. Like you got your Keyforge deck and that was it. And if you were going to have it tournament legal, that is. But for like these, like you, it comes with decks that are pre-built that make sense, but also that you can modify. It does. In terms of the deck building for this game, you know, in something like Magic, you have a red deck and you have red mana and you can make it a red-blue deck, add some blue. You can make it a red-blue-white deck. Pretty soon you can have all five colors if you want. These ones, you're only restricted by your hero. If your hero is a ninja, you can have any generic attack cards and generic cards and you can have any ninja cards. And that's pretty much where that line stops. Uh, And I think in this new Monarch set, it includes light and dark. So I think you can also have light attack, light uh, this and that, dark this and that. So it just kind of depends on what you're getting and what you're building. But there is limitation to it in the same way magic and the same way Pokemon. If you want to build a psychic fighting deck, you have to use psychic cards and fighting cards, you know, things like that. So deck building does look to be unique, looks to be different. And I'm just excited. This is the game I'm more excited for. I've tried a lot of games, had fun with them, but this one so far, I honestly think is one that like, I'm going to stay excited for for a while. And if I can rope you into playing some games would be great. Uh, Maybe rope some other people in, but I'm really enjoying it. Exciting to go to Edmund Unplugged and play every once in a while on a Thursday. They're saying grab some friends, grab your decks and have some fun. Yep. Our decks are going to do battle. Yeah. That's how it works. But yeah. So in terms of, uh, I guess, a summation of flesh and blood, it's something new, kind of hard to get your hands on. It is at retail. You can buy it online. Don't spend too much because right now people are kind of cranking the prices because they know they can. Check out your friendly local game store. That's what I was going to say. Their website, Flesh and Blood, uh, it's fabfabtcg.com, I think. You can look it up. They have a store locator that will tell you a store that's licensed or like they officially sell through. Like authorized. Authorized to sell. That way, like Edmund Unplugged, I can get these uh, Blitz decks for 15 a piece. When I think they, I think their retail price is like 12 So that's pretty much in line with what you expect from a store to sell in person. Um, that's really nice versus some of the online ones that are selling them for 30 a piece. So your friendly local game store won't price gouge you. Exactly. Check your friendly local game store. Give this game a shot. Very, very cool. New to the U.S., and so far, I highly recommend it if you enjoy this kind of game. Same. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. 
Enjoy. So for the topic today, I just kind of wanted to discuss dueling card games in general. Um, a little bit about like how they play and things like that. And also mention several that I've played, even though I have mentioned some already. Uh, and which ones I've enjoyed more than others. So obviously the big two I've mentioned is Flesh and Blood, the game of this episode, as well as Magic the Gathering. Magic's been around since 1993, longest reigning game, still the champ of all card games. I don't think anything will ever dethrone it because it has this giant back catalog, a bajillion styles, an amazing mobile app and online uh, computer game of Magic Arena. Uh, Magic's great. Pokemon's been around a long time. Digimon has come out with a new card game. There's the Transformers card game that's like kind of grabbing hold of some people. There's about to be a My Hero Academia card game. Pokemon. There's My Little Pony card games. You've got Card Fight Vanguard. Pokemon. You've got, uh, is it Will of Fate? No, that's like a set of a card game. There are so many card games. Pokemon Gold. There is Pokemon's Gold. Yes, there are a ton of two-player card games. So basically, two-player card games, the way they work is you're versing your opponent, you're competing in some manner. In Flesh and Blood, you're both a hero. In Magic the Gathering, you are bo both some entity summoning creatures and casting spells, like you're a great wizard or something. In Pokemon, you're a Pokemon trainer and you're, you know, having your Pokemon do your battles for you. They all have something like that. Star Wars Destiny was one that includes dice. Actually, very affordable right now because uh, it's kind of fallen out. Nobody's really doing competitions and stuff like that. So you can pick up cards really cheap. They come with one dice per pack. And it's a pretty fun, simplified game. I've actually recommended that for people with younger kids that like Star Wars. Again, it is the Dogecoin of card investments. Except it's not coming back. We're going to hope Dogecoin to the moon. I believe in you, dear listeners. You can invest in some Star Wars Destiny <laughs> and you can increase the prices if we all band together. I mean, you're not wrong. That is how it works. But uh, there's all kinds of two-player cards. I've been games. on Reddit. You have been on Reddit. I'm not going to try to get into all of them because that's way too many. But uh, what is it that's unique about two-player card games? Like, what's what's so different in me playing Flesh and Bud, Blood? Bud. <laughs> that should be the name of, like, a, a dispensary. Flesh uh... and Bud. It's pretty funny. Uh, flesh and Blood versus, like, pulling a board game off the shelf. I think it's kind of like that chess-like element. It's not only... I mean, it was for some games, it's how you build your deck and how you cultivate your deck. And it's, it's kind of... Uh, like if you are a wizard or a warlock who is training and harnessing powers, you're cultivating your deck, you're cultivating your abilities and your mastery over your cards. But in like the cases of Flesh and Blood, where you're just given two random card decks, it is kind of a chess element. You're kind of relying on your wits and your understanding. Um, there's that element of randomness that's in there based on what you draw, what can you do with what you draw. And so it really is a, a mental game as well. Of trying who who can who can use their resources the best to destroy the other. I think that's definitely true for like out of the box decks like this. Um, I for me, I think the biggest difference versus a board game on the shelf is card games like this have a customizability. Is you're buying booster packs if you want, you're buying singles, you're building a deck, you're changing the deck, you're modifying the deck, you're trying out different uh, archetypes in the decks you're building. You know, Magic has a huge amount of archetypes you can get into. Except in Keyforge. You don't do that in Keyforge. That's true. Keyforge kind of introduced a new model that a lot of people were very hyped for and is still an interesting model. But it's you buy a deck, that deck is complete. You cannot add, you cannot take away. That is the deck you play with. Some decks are bust. Some decks are great. They actually have people that have created an app 
that you scan your deck's barcode into, and it tells you, based on the cards in the deck, what the like estimated rating is, which is kind of like a competitive rating. So I think the biggest downfall that, that Keyforge has had is their whole idea was you buy a deck and play and that's it. It's tournament legal. Everything's fine. Uh, the problem is you got people, instead of buying booster packs at $15 a piece, cracking them and building decks, they're buying single decks at $15 a piece until they get one that rates high enough to take to a tournament. And you combine that with a global pandemic that really got rid of a lot of tournaments. It really did. And I think a game like Keyforge suffered the most. Yeah. Because without customizability, without being able to build a deck and open booster packs and use those cards, uh, you know, to build whatever, instead of that, you buy a deck and go, cool, here's my deck. And unless you're playing it with somebody, it's just going to sit there like cards you're not using in your current deck in another game. Because that's really all you can play it with are those uh, like Thursday night at the game shop where you go and you test your deck out amongst the other ones. Like you can, you can theoretically do that with like your partner or your roommate. But it's not the same thing as playing with 15 other people at Keyforge night. Exactly. So that kind of stinks. I feel like Keyforge has suffered from the pandemic more than anything else. Magic has had Magic Online. Or sorry, not Magic Online. That's still going, but that one's not supported anymore, I don't think. Magic Arena, to keep it going, they do Friday Night Magic. They do tournaments on there. You can do a draft on there. Um, But games like Flesh and Blood, we're just now able to really go into a store comfortably and play um, but any game that is has a collectible aspect, booster packs, building decks, you can build, sit and build a deck and theory craft at home. And yes, with something like Keyforge, you could technically disassemble those decks and build like the better deck, but you couldn't actually go play it in a store because it wouldn't be legal at that point if someone was paying attention and actually said, hey, that's not right. <laughs> so uh, I feel like that model was unique and very interesting and it is affordable unless you want to be competitive. Or if you keep your friend's deck keeps beating you and your friend's deck keeps beating you and your friend's deck keeps beating you, you're going to be on the hunt spending a lot of money to find a new deck rather than spending a little money just to modify yours. You know what I mean? It keeps beating you? Yes. What a deck. It's a horrible deck. I'm going to put it back in its box. <laughs> Can I be honest about something? Yes. I'm not a fan of this style of gaming. I know you're not. And I'm glad you brought that up. So why aren't you a huge fan of two-player kind of dueling card games. So I want to clarify, like, I'm, I'm, I like the experience. Like, whenever Brian brings his cube over, I enjoy crafting my uh, deck. I enjoy playing. I enjoy the experience of it. So I don't want to say, like, I'm miserable every time I play this, because I'm not. Like, I enjoy the people that I play with. I enjoy the friends. I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy, like, the random times that I do win in Magic, or in the case of Flesh and Blood, when I do win. I do like that. Delton helped me with the rules, but still one. But I just don't like the game style. I I don't like having to read what different cards do, have to figure out what the terminology is. And I feel like things like Flesh and Blood isn't as bad. There was one rule we had to look up and clarify. Yes. And But something like Magic, where there's like 20, 30 years worth of rules, regulations, material, wording, vocabulary. I don't think I like it because I don't, it sounds bad, but I don't care enough to learn about it. Like if, if I have like a board game and it's all new rules and all terminology, like I'll learn that because it's going to take me 15, 20 minutes to learn it all and I can play and I can come away with like a sense of mastery over the game uh, my first time I play it. But something like magic or something like some of the other uh 
deck builders like this, like the collectible deck builders, there's just so much to learn and understand that, yes, it's neat, and I'm not saying it's a bad game, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but someone like me, who's kind of new to it and is just kind of like a hobby gamer and just plays these games whenever their friends bring their decks over, I don't really care to learn it. And it's it's not as fun for me having to sit and look up rules multiple times or try to figure out uh, what different vocabulary means on cards whenever it's not explained on the cards. Like, that just makes me disengage from a game like no one's business. Now, if the text is on the card and, like, explains what it is, that's great and fine. But if it's, like, here's random terminology that this card has, well, what the hell does that mean? I gotta go look up what it means and how does this affect different cards? That, for me, I get so disengaged from it. And I understand that completely. Uh, the With these flesh and blood decks, all the cards in these do explain what the terminology is, but we both were interpreting it differently. It's, yes. it, was basically, uh, it was basically a thing that said, if you attack and your opponent blocks with a creature over uh, with six or higher attack on it, then uh, combat is closed and those cards are destroyed, but the way that it said it made it sound like your opponent's card is destroyed or yours is destroyed, and it didn't specify whether that meant it immediately cancels combat, no damage is done, if you, like, you know, have enough damage or whatever. And so we had to look that up to clarify because it's a new rule for the Monarch set. Uh, but aside from that, I feel like this one wasn't as bad because there were less term was less terminology. It's just the couple we had were more intense questions. I think my thing is, like, I've, I've talked about before, whenever it's not my turn, typically, as much as I can, I try to plan as far ahead as possible. Yeah. And so if something in my chain, like a misinterpretation or... I don't understand what a terminology means, then that can totally throw off not only this play, but maybe subsequent plays as well. And so it just gets very discouraging. And like I said, not that these games are bad and not that these games can't be fun. And I do have fun experiences. I, I just feel bad. I told Delton, I feel really bad because I he says like he wants to find a two-player card game like this that I really enjoy. And like, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> I feel so bad. I have like not that I don't enjoy it, but I I don't want to collect them. I don't care. And I think that's the hard part for me is that like I there's something. Of course, I th I think it comes down to personality. Yeah. I have a collector's personality. When I get into something like this, I want to collect more and I want to try more things and I want to get more cards. Uh, I mean, that's why I have as many board games as I do. Right. I want to keep having different ones for different experiences and different uh you know things like that. And so when you don't want to do that, it makes it tough because that means I'll just build all the decks and we'll just play them, which is fine. But I also want you to enjoy that experience of playing, you know, even if it's not your favorite style of game. I do think that somewhere where Flesh and Blood succeeds, hopefully for you, and now correct me if I'm, because I'm speaking for you, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Flesh and Blood succeeds for you over Magic in that uh, the turns and things are so simple and the actions are so limited in their phases that you're not like, all right, first you untap, now you have your upkeep phase, don't forget this trigger, and then you have your draw phase, and then now you have your main phase. Okay, are we going to attacks? Cool. Now you're going to declare attackers, now I'll declare balkers, then you'll do damage, then another main phase, then the end phase. And I feel like this, even though there are phases like that, I feel like it's a little more simplified and a little bit faster pretty much every turn that it helps keep you engaged when it's not your turn. Is that more accurate? Yes, and also you're not going to get a hand that sets you up for failure. That's true. You would be pretty like out of 
Like it would be a weird bad luck hand. And it's right. I don't think so far we've had one of those. No, like I've had I had one so last night when we played, I had one hand where I think I needed three mana or three like action points, but I only had two resource points. Resource points. There you go. Three pointy things. And I only had two. And so I had to rethink my strategy and I wasn't as powerful as I wanted to be. But I mean, there hasn't been a hand that I've drawn to be like, oh, I got nothing. Unless I spent it all trying to defend myself in the previous round. That's my own fault. Exactly. I think so far with this one, the thing is that uh, every single attack, you have an opportunity to defend. There is no, I don't have creatures on the field. I don't have a Pokemon out. This Pokemon is dazed or whatever. It is strictly down to, do I want to not have access to this card on my attack? That's the question for me to make, not for the game to decide. Does that make sense? And I like that aspect uh, quite a bit as well. But I enjoy the dueling card games. I find them to be interesting. Building decks is fun. Theory crafting, things like that is pretty fun. Uh, Drafting is by far my favorite style. And I think they're pretty neat. There's a bajillion of them out there at this point. Really, it's kind of like pick what one you want. The World of Warcraft trading card game was actually pretty dang fun. And I still have some cards, enough for at least two, maybe three decks. But it got discontinued with Hearthstone. So many card games are moving digital. It's nice to see a new physical card game that is doing something that I actually enjoy. Yeah, and my not liking it is not anything to do with the games. Like, these games are good for people. People enjoy these games. You just have a broken games. personality. I just have a broken personality. <laughs> I'm defective. I'm just kidding. Return to Cinder. No, don't send me back to Elk City, please. I, I won't send you back to your mom. Ah! You can go to my mom to recover. Okay, I'll... She'll, oh, she'll send rebuild. me the Tammy for na- maintenance. Yeah, she has the power. She can rebuild you. She'll feed me gravy and tell me that I'm smart. That is very true. But uh, dueling card games, I think they're fun. If you've never played one, they're worth at least... Watch a video or two. Uh, the new Digimon card game has an app to learn how to play it. The new Dragon Ball Z card game has an app to learn how to play it. You can play the Pokemon card game. Uh, I think you can download it now on your computer and play a simplified version of it which is kind of nice. You can uh, do that. You can buy Pokemon cards, not really at the moment, because people are being dumb and buying them all up and fighting each other in Walmarts over them, which is why Target is no longer carrying them for the safety of their employees, because uh, somebody pulled a firearm over Pokemon or baseball baseball cards, and I believe that someone was injured because of it. Very sad and very stupid that someone's taking it that far. So, uh, yeah, online retail and local game store at the moment, but Try to find one of these games. That's a real dark, dark note in this. Try to find one of these games to give a shot if it sounds interesting to you. If it doesn't, like Haley, that's okay. A friend like me might just force you to play a game or two with me, but and you can it's still all right. have fun. I still have fun. I just realized though that I haven't played Magic with Brian in over a year. Yeah, and so I'm gonna be real rusty on my terminology. What does Menace do? I have no idea. Yeah, I always forget Menace constantly. I got tap. <laughs> You do got tap. That's a huge one. Tap. But yes, so... Tap, tap. These card games, like I said, I really enjoy them. They're always interesting. But what I find really funny is all these card games want you to feel a certain way, right? In Magic, you want to feel like an awesome, powerful wizard or sorceress or something. And in Pokemon, you have to feel like a Pokemon trainer. And in Flesh and Blood, you're supposed to be a powerful hero fighting in an arena. So that leads me to a question. And now, join us. For a Malthouse Games podcast special, bite size question. Answer. You already have an answer? I haven't even asked the question yet. What's the question? I got an answer. Okay, well, there we go. 
uh, do you actually feel like what these card games want you to feel like? That was a weird statement, sentence, <laughs> question. It's okay. Statement. Uh, so, like I said earlier, I get really disengaged from these kinds of games. I think, one, because of the rules and the vocabulary and the terminology. Two, it's really easy for someone in that system to get analysis paralysis with so much that's going on. So I get really disengaged. So I don't really feel like these give the same feeling of becoming part of the game, of being engaged with the theme, as much as something like my gardening games. I play Agricola. I'm having to feed my family. You're damn right. I feel engaged. I am not letting any of my family starve, and I have never let any of my family members starve in Agricola. That's true. I've also only had vegan farms. Also true. I do get engaged in that theme, but I just don't with these. Like maybe whenever I was a kid playing Pokemon, I felt like a Pokemon trainer, but mostly I just collected the cards and went for the shiny ones and the ones in Japanese. Yes. So I thought that was cool. But with with magic or with flesh and blood, I, I just feel like I'm like, here's some cards. They have pictures and I'm trying to get your points low. How about you, though? Honestly, I feel the same with two player card games. Really? As much as I enjoy the games and I like them, I think the only time I could even call it close to feeling like an amazing spellcasting person is if you get a turn in magic, you're playing the right deck, and it's just like, I do this, do this, do this. There was a time I was playing in arena for our big tournaments that me and Brian and uh, Dan and Dakota do, and I was playing my green-red ramp deck with Nyssa and Ugin, and there was a turn where I drew like 15 cards, dumped a bunch of stuff from my hand, and it was essentially a game-ending turn where I won. And those are the only moments where you're like, oh, yeah, look at that. And it's like, boom, I feel powerful. I feel smart because I put this together with how I built the deck and how I played. But that's the closest it gets. And even then, I don't think it quite gets there. However, I also don't know that I ever truly get into character with a lot of games. Oh, I do. I definitely do. I know you do. You really feel the theme and become one with the theme. And I feel like I don't necessarily do that. Um, I honestly don't know a game aside from like, uh, I don't know, playing Fiasco, you know, something that's kind of a more role play element. That's the only time I could feel that. But even then, I feel more on the outside. I think that's why I'm so drawn to theme, because whenever there's a, a there's a game like I think we've talked about it before, too. Like you can tell whenever a game was made with a theme versus a theme was pasted on. Yes. And I, I do tend to be more drawn to those games with the theme like that they the, they were made with the theme in mind yeah. because i feel like it makes you feel like you're part of that experience and it's easier to put yourself in that situation it makes it more fun too like agricola i could probably get way more points if i were to slaughter cows but by god i am not i have a vegan farm i always have i always will i've only lost that game once to mac hi mac hope you're doing well but that is just a theme that I just get really engaged in. I feel like that's with a lot of themes. But for some reason, the dual playing card games, I just do not get engaged with the themes. I think that's understandable. And I think it's just going to depend person to person. I really do. I feel like I play most games from, you don't play video games, but do you know the third person perspective of a video game? Yes. It's like that over the shoulder camera mm -hmm. back a little. I feel like that's always me in every game where I feel like you're the first person perspective. I'm a cat drinking sake and I threw up. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I can hit second person perspective, which is a rare 
thing, and it's a weird third, but closer over the shoulder where you get a piece of the person, but it's not fully one or the other. I always call that second person. It's not as common. I feel I'm like, a swarm of butterflies. I feel like I can get there, but it has to be the right thing. I am Richard Nixon. You are Richard Nixon now. <laughs> You're just looking at games off the shelf and yelling <laughs> about them. I'm building cars in a Japanese car facility. I have become one with the Nixon. There you go. Agnew! I think that's Lord. time for our Kickstarter. Kick oh, my goodness. I'm tired. No more Kickstarters. I'm tired. You got it's in trouble. Wait, no more ki- what do you mean, no more Kickstarters? No more Kickstarters for a little bit. <laughs> you don't know what's coming. Uh, that's the point. Shh. There's a That's Kickstarter. The Shh, keep it down. There's a Kickstarter coming from World Champion Games, I think it is. Uh-huh. I can't remember the quite name. Uh, it's essentially Fiasco meets Creep Show. So it's like Fiasco horror based. Oh, God. Gonna be great. Anyway. Speaking of Kickstarter, we, we need to shout our friends at Rose Gauntlet. Yes, we do. Lindsay and Isaac at Rose Gauntlet Entertainment have a Kickstarter out now for Keystone. Uh, make sure to go back Keystone on Kickstarter. I got to play test this game. It's a very fun game. Reminds me of a couple different games kind of put together in a way. But from the first, I don't think I only did three play tests of it. However, from the first one to the last one, uh, big changes were made. And I think it's going to, I mean, the artwork is gorgeous on it. Whoever the artist is, I can't remember their name. Fantastic job. It's, you know, two people that are great people, great des- game designers, and just like when Belt says great people, like they're really great. They're people. really good people, and uh, they're wonderful. It's going to be a great company. Going to have some awesome stuff, including a video game coming, which is cool that they're announcing that. But definitely check out Keystone on Kickstarter.com from Rose Gauntlet Entertainment. Also, a very cool logo. But yes, now on to our Patreon shoutouts. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters, our Patreon patrons for patronizing us. And without patronizing us, without patronizing us, yeah, that's a weird word, isn't it? Uh, thank you so much for helping us and supporting us on this podcast. That's going to be for Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you all so much for supporting us and thank you. staying with us through all the weirdness of the pandemic and things like that. These are people who support us on Patreon, along with along with Andrew, who I shouted out earlier in this episode, and some others that just don't. Uh, support at a level in which they get shouted on the podcast, but they get some other things here and there. But we still love them. We do. We appreciate everyone. If you want to be like them, you can go to patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. You can also go to malthousegames.com and look at our favorite games, the games we've covered, what's new with our content, as well as a link at the bottom of the pages, uh, definitely the first page, at the bottom to our Patreon itself. If you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us at Malthouse Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. If you want to send us any questions to answer on the show, a topic you want us to discuss, or a game you think that we should be looking at, make sure to send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. I think that's going to cover everything. I'm going to... Uh, keep looking online for more flesh and blood and try to get Haley to let me buy booster packs. But until then, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Play with your decks. Bye. Bye.